0: The first Bible reading is taken from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. It's in two sections. The first one is verses 10 to 12, and the second, verses 20 to 25. It may be found on page 185 of the Church Bibles. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you, land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat, and are satisfied be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. In the future when your son asks you what is the meaning of the stipulations decrees and laws the Lord our God has commanded you tell him we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, That will be our righteousness. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The second reading can be found on page 1163. And it's 2 Corinthians 9, beginning at verse 6. That's page 1163 in the Church Bibles. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man shall give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you, you, that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you, because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God.
2: Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Amen. Please sit down. Well, today is Commitment Sunday when, once a year, we ask those who count themselves members of St. Michael's to review their giving to God's work here. We ask you to pledge what God has asked you to give to support the ministry in 2016 so that the Treasurer and Finance Committee can plan and budget realistically and not do guesswork. We will be looking mainly at 2 Corinthians 9 and it's on page 1163. You'll find it a help if you have it in front of you. Now, we all have favorite verses in the Bible, Uh, sometimes because they were particularly significant for us at a time in our lives. One of my favorites is Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. It reminds me of a time when I was thrashing around in something of a muddle, trying to understand what a Christian is. And it still surprises me how many could not answer that straightforward question. But this verse gives us a clue. A Christian is someone who has experienced the amazing generosity of God A vicar then explained to me that when Jesus died on the cross, he died, yes, for the sins of the whole world, but he died for Charles, for my personal failures, faults, and sins. Jesus took them on himself. And that Jesus had been sent by God the Father with this express mission an act of supreme sacrifice. As a result, through Christ's act of reconciliation, enabling me to approach God, who is holy and perfect, we are able to have a living, daily relationship with God. always reminded that story of the speaker's corner speaker who was challenged. And the man said, but God is dead. And the speaker said, that's extraordinary. I was speaking to him just this morning. The wonder is of God's concern for us, who far from being mean-spirited as some imagine God to be, has held nothing back from us. For as Romans 8 records, how would he not also, along with him, with Jesus, graciously give us all things? The Christian is, if I may put it this way, in a win win situation. Once we have believed in Jesus' death on the cross, being sufficient to pay for our sins and failures, and then, in addition, having welcomed him into our everyday lives, if we do that, then we become new people, a new creation. Under Roman law, when a person was adopted, they became a new person. The debts of their old life were of no relevance to the new adopted person who had a new family and often a new name. Christians are adopted members of God's family, sons and daughters of the king. Have you thought of yourself like that? You are a son or a daughter of the king, living in a new family with new relationships. And I believe the starting point for us all as Christians on this Commitment Sunday, when we consider our pledged giving for the work of St. Michael's in 2016, is this, and it's my first point the amazing generosity of God. The amazing generosity of God. On this Sunday, we reposition our thinking in this one area of Christian discipleship. Chapter 9, verse 8 And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Paul means that God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance. Now, the context of Paul's letter was that the mother church in Jerusalem was facing great difficulty and real poverty. As a result, Paul was organizing a collection from the Christians in other churches who had been blessed by the ministry originally provided by Jerusalem. And Paul holds up to the Corinthian Christians the grace of God working through the Macedonian Christians. Have a look back at chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy Now, I don't know about you, but every time I read these few verses, I am challenged. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up. Well, welled up in what? Surely we don't expect what Paul writes next in rich generosity. They had every excuse not to give much, but they had a very different attitude to supporting God's church. They urgently pleaded with us, for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Just imagine that. They pleaded for the privilege of giving to support the ministry of the church. Don't miss us out. You see, God's grace enabled the Macedonians to give generously even though they were poor. In the case of the Corinthians, who were better off, At the present time, your plenty, verse 14, chapter 8, will supply what they need. So the grace of God in their case is to be understood as the blessing of relative affluence. And the purpose of God's blessing is set out, and he reminds them of their sufficiency. Chapter 9, verse 8, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. This is not about self-sufficiency, a proud independence of outward circumstances, or of other people. Rather, Paul meant it in the sense of sufficiency provided by God's grace, his undeserved, unearned love. The Macedonians have been blessed. They've been blessed with a rare thing, contentment. Contentment in their poverty, and so were able, even in that situation, to abound in generosity. The Corinthians, by contrast, had been blessed with sufficiency in their relative affluence and so should contribute generously. Both were recipients of God's amazing grace and as a result, though in different circumstances, could respond generously. I can't overemphasize enough how important this starting point is. Our pledge should come from what, chapter 9, verse 7, each has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Actually, don't we all love cheerful givers? Over the years, my wife, Trisha, and I have been those who've received great acts of kindness, people lending their homes for a holiday, for example, And almost always, they've made us feel we're doing them a favor as they encourage us to stay. Oh, do stay, they say. The house will be empty. And we think, oh, well, all right, you know. We'll do them a favor in Monte Carlo or wherever it is. (coughs) (laughs) However, there have been just one or two occasions when the offer was made with so many cautions and reservations that we decided not to go there. You see, the cheerful giver encourages us in so many ways. So today, as you consider your pledge, can I underline that God wants cheerful givers? And I guess, rather like us, he'd rather not have it if it was anything else. Here's my second point. Anything important is planned. Anything important is planned. Paul tells the Corinthian Christians that he knows that they were eager to help and he had, in fact, been boasting to the Macedonians about their enthusiasm to be involved and they've been ready to give since last year, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. However, and this is where we must smile, Paul is sending an advance party, verse 3, in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow but that you would be ready as I said you would be. Do you see, detector, just a slight feeling of uncertainty. He was a little concerned that in spite of their good intentions, they might not have got round to actually getting the collection to the right people, making sure it was really in their hands. I meant to do it. I just didn't get round to it. The reordering of this church 25 years or so ago cost a great deal of money and there was still money to be paid when I arrived as vicar. But I was very moved to discover that many of those who had made financial pledges for the building work kept their promises, even though some had moved out of London and had left St. Michael's. Paul's advance party, verse five, chapter nine, was to finish the arrangements, to complete the task. I don't know about you, but I'm amazed at the amount of bureaucracy that is involved in just living daily lives. Form-filling is not at the top of my favourite things to do. But we do ask you to give our hard-working treasurer, Andrew, Andrew uh, Fisher, an indication, some sign of your committed giving, so he can plan a budget. It makes sense, doesn't it? If he doesn't just do this, stick his finger in the wind and say, well, I hope... And this year, we've sent pledge forms by email so you can complete it that way or by the paper form. And if you're a regular member and haven't received that, do let us know. There are some empty forms to complete uh, on the tables at the back. But please complete it. And I'd also invite you prayerfully to consider the information which we've given you because we want you to know it's one aspect of our life together as a church and ask you whether you can increase your committed giving. Let me highlight just a few points from my letter. Following the principle of tithing, we always give away 10% of our income to God's work in the United Kingdom and overseas. Actually, we're trying to aim for more. Only three people at St. Michael's know how much each of us gives, the treasurer, the finance secretary, and God. Nevertheless, previous treasurers have been able to show that the greater part of our giving is met by a fairly small number of donations. And it could be argued that some are not giving realistically and are over-relying on others in the church family for the ministry benefits they receive. Here's my third point. The purpose of committed giving is to support, chapter 9, verse 8, every good work for God's kingdom— Now it's very easy to overlook the importance of the work of the Mission Support Group. This is the committee tasked by the Church Council to distribute the 10% of our income to ministries here in the United Kingdom and overseas. As many of you will know, I spent last weekend in Belgrade supporting John and Angela Field, our mission partners, in their remarkable persevering ministry. It's very tough and the mission support group asked the fields how we could support their work. And they suggested a contribution for a part-time administrator, and we gave 3,000 pounds. I'm going to ask um, Plarman if he'd put up the first one. And the money was used to revive a fellowship of church leaders in Serbia, the Protestant Evangelical Union of Serbia. I was invited to speak at an unprecedented assembly of some 60 and so leaders, the largest gathering for many years. And it came about mainly as a result of the St. Michael's donation for the administrator who'd worked hard to gather them together. And again, through John and Angela and their Serbian friends, I met the Orthodox Bishop of Belgrade and was able to introduce him to the leader of the Protestant Church's fellowship because they didn't know each other. John Field is on my left, then there's me, then there's the bishop, the Orthodox bishop, then there's the advisor to the Prime Minister on Religious Affairs, then there's Samuel Petrovsky, who is the leader of the Protestant churches, and then there's a friend of his, a disciple of Jesus. That was historic. This was historic. This was me uh, uh, speaking to the assembly. It's rather difficult to see for some of you. Uh, it was in a modern Baptist church. I was translated into Serbo-Croat. My top tip is, if you are translating into Serbo-Croat, ha- half your text, because it takes twice as long. <laughs> I think there's one more picture. And this is uh, being given a tour of the new cathedral. The new cathedral is the most astonishing place. Uh, we were just shown the crypt. Only the crypt has been completed, full of marble and frescoes. The Orthodox Church thinks that only the best will do for God's worship. And that's what they're doing. You see, I believe that when church leaders meet and talk about working together, you can be sure that God is at work. Watch this space, but rejoice that through your giving in this last year, you have invested in something special, bringing people together who need to be brought together in a very tough, difficult place for historic reasons. Here's my fourth point. Complacency undermines generous giving. Complacency undermines generous giving. Commitment Sunday is an opportunity to do what the children's song encourages us to do. Do you remember it? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings and see what the Lord has done. In addition to tithing, giving a tenth to God's work, God's people were also encouraged to give an additional thank offering in recognition of God's blessings and generosity. I would like to invite you today also to give a thank offering for the blessings of this year. Certainly God's people in our first reading from Deuteronomy had benefited from God blessing them. He had, after all, rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And now they were about to receive what he had promised their forefathers, a land and a home of their own. And Moses tells them that when they are in the promised land, a land with flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then you eat when you eat and are satisfied, be careful... Be careful. Well, it's quite a list of blessings, isn't it? I wonder what the list of God's blessings to you would look like if you were to name them one by one. And we have to consider our blessings in the light of so many around us who have so much less than we do, who don't have homes, friends, or food, Or in the case of a lady who turned up at the church office this week, shoes which kept her feet dry. But why were God's people to be careful? Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 12, it's on page 185 if you want to turn to it. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You see, when things are going well for us, we're tempted to forget our dependence on God. But even worse than that, we think it's all down to our own efforts and cleverness. We forget God's part in it all. So, chapter Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. None of us should ever forget that our wealth and our blessings have been granted to us by God. Here's my final point. Our giving demonstrates who or what we worship. Our giving demonstrates who or what we worship. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13 puts this starkly. For the Lord your God, fear the Lord your God, serve him only. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. Now money is clearly one of the gods of this world. It's one of the gods of the peoples around us. It is worshipped, it is honored, it is feared. And the world says hoard it, preserve it, prioritize it. And our day of commitment gives us a wonderful opportunity to demonstrate who we worship. If we give in support of God's work and for the worldwide extension of his kingdom, we make it clear who we worship. And I know of no better discipline for keeping money in its right place and avoiding the love of money. Incidentally, it's not money which is the root of all evil. You'll remember, it's the love of money. It's our attitude to it. There's nothing better than ruthlessly recording, as I do, my own personal giving. In that way, I can ensure that I'm not deceiving myself. So I write dates and amounts because over the years, I've discovered that if I lose track of the facts and figures, somehow it's always to my advantage and not God's. But please note something else if we are faithful in generous giving. And go back to 2 Corinthians 9, if you bear with me. It's verse 12. It is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God, as well as supplying the needs of God's people. As I said in my letter in the Day of Commitment leaflet, this one here, our generous giving points people to God. God. Look at chapter 9, verse 13. It says that people will recognize that we are responding to God's call to give and will therefore give thanks and praise to him. They will recognize that left to ourselves, we would not do such a thing. It can only be due to God. And that encourages them further that God recognizes their needs and is working through his people. They are then further encouraged in their walk with the Lord. It is a virtuous circle. You give to others, they're overcome by the generosity of God, they thank God, they walk closer with God, and they in turn will give. There is no financial problem in the church. There's a heart problem. There's an attitude problem. There's an ingratitude to the generosity of God problem. So as you prayerfully consider your pledge for 2016 for the ministry at St. Michael's, the starting point, remember God's amazing generosity to you in the gift of Jesus, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Secondly, anything important is planned. Do not leave the treasurer to guess. Thirdly, planned giving supports every good work for the kingdom. We must support costly and sacrificial Christian ministry elsewhere. I want to give more than 10 percent. I'm ambitious. We should. We must. Fourth, complacently, complacency undermines generous giving. Be careful. Don't forget the blessings that God has given you. And finally, our giving demonstrates who we truly worship. Do you record your giving? Do you know how much you have given away this year? In Malachi 3.10, God says through the prophet, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Of course, the system commanded of tithing, giving uh, 10% of uh, money and gifts, was in the Old Testament the minimum standard. The minimum. And then you gave the thank offering on top. All in gratitude to God, all from the Old Testament. We live in the New Testament times when we have far more to be grateful for He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. What are we saying if we're thoughtless, careless, or unplanned about our giving to God? What does that say about our gratitude? I think the story of the ten lepers is so haunting. Healed from leprosy, only one went back to thank Jesus. One. And he wasn't a member of God's people. And in addition, tragically, we're in danger of missing out. Missing out on so much blessing that you'll not have enough room for it. That's what the Macedonians discovered. Don't miss us out. Give us the privilege of giving. Because we know that we will be blessed through it. And it will demonstrate who we really worship in a nation and a society which makes the tragic mistake of worshipping money and not God, the living God. Let us pray. We're going to have a moment of quiet, just a pause, because we do worship the living God who speaks, speaks personally. And it may be he's said something to you that you want to remember, something to act on, not a good intention, but something very specific. It may be for the first time to plan your giving. It may be to increase your giving. It may be to sponsor some worldwide ministry so that thanks would come not to you, but to God. Whatever it is, let us listen together. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I can't but loss, and pour contempt on all my pride, where the whole realm of nature and mine, that when offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all.